All right, everybody, welcome to the May 8th edition of Cascadian Views. I've got both Dan and Chris with me here this week, the full crew. How are you guys doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, and I think we should get right into our most important news story of the week. Somebody launched a blog. Yeah, for the first time in a while, we're actually going to concern ourselves with Trump because he has, after being kicked off all the major social media platforms, he has launched his own blog on his own website with comments disabled, my favorite part of that whole oh. thing, uh, although there are buttons so that you can share everything he says onto Facebook or Twitter or wherever you want to put it. I did not see a parlor button, so possibly interesting there. I really hope it's got like a little, uh, you know, emoji to tell you like how he's feeling at the end of each <laughs> post, like live journal or whatever. Oh man, <laughs> I I didn't see anything quite like that, but there was, um, yeah. So you can like the post, you can share it on Twitter, or you can share it on Facebook. Um, All right, and he has posted three times on May seventh. Twice on May 6th, four times on May 5th. Uh, yeah, he's posting to it a bunch. This is just his Twitter replacement. It's also, you think blog, you think like post, you think research, you think somebody who had too much time on their hands. No, these are really basically just Twitter statements. All of them are either an image or a paragraph. I haven't seen any of them that run farther than a paragraph. Some of them are single sentences. For example, 10.27 a.m. on May 3rd, he posted, The fraudulent presidential election of 2020 will be, comma, from this day forth, comma, known as, all caps, the big lie. Exclamation point. That's the entirety of the post. <laughs> it's so nice repurposing a big lie there. Yeah. Right. So he really is just, it's his replacement for his Twitter. Yes, kind of what exactly. He's got. Uh, well, okay. He has used it to mostly, and I'm I'm not even making this up. Uh, praise Kim Jong Un repeatedly. There are two posts in there about how great Kim Jong Un is, and he also spends a lot of the rest of his time trashing Republicans, such as Mitch McConnell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm shredding oh. every senior Republican, praising Kim Jong Un. <laughs> yeah. Love it. Yeah. Love it. We missed this oh, so much. God. <sighs> I I have honestly not realized how nice it was to have Trump not on Twitter anymore uh, yeah. until all this. I literally, I have not had to think about the guy. Like, he hasn't said anything stupid that I'm aware of. Maybe he has on Fox News, but I'm blissfully ignorant of that. Uh and now now he has a little platform. I could just not go to it. In fact, I will confess, uh, as we were speaking, was the first time I had gone to this website. I had seen pictures of the post shared around on Twitter with the whole, like, what the fuck is this guy thinking? Uh, in order to verify that there was no parlor button, me going to it right now is the first time I've been to the site. Sure. Uh, he's still asking for donations, and according to the Washington Times, he plans to resume MAGA rallies kind of shortly, now that vaccines are going out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
So we may we may have to deal with this in the future. He is trying to throw his weight around in a few Republican contests. He got busy endorsing in Texas, and he's now trying to push uh, Stefanik into uh, Cheney's soon-to-be-vacant leadership position. Right. Uh, which I guess will bring us to our, our other topic here. Liz Cheney is very shortly no longer to, going to be in Republican leadership in the House. Um, there was some signs throughout the winter that she'd hold on despite her Trump impeachment vote. Then the pressure got kind of big. The number one in the Republican caucus in the House was caught on a hot mic saying how much he wanted her out of there. She doubled down with an op-ed that basically called the modern Republican Party fascist. Um, she threw in a few complaints about woke culture at the end just to kind of soften the blow. But the title was History is Watching. Um, and talked specifically about the weird cult of personality on the GOP. Uh, this will probably be done by next week, I assume. Um, and mm -hmm. I, I don't think there's any chance she gets reelected, not now. There might have been yeah. if, if Republicans in Congress hadn't decided to make a thing about this, but now that they have, I'm pretty sure her seat's just gone. Dexter. Yeah. Well, I mean, the way she could still win that seat is if, like, more than one MAGA splits up the primary, but if they get one Trump-flavored candidate to oppose her, she's probably gone. Exactly. You know, I think the days are pretty much numbered there in any other circumstance. Yeah. It's kind of weird having Cheney be the reasonable one because throughout my life, not the same Cheney, but a different Cheney was the the evil man behind the puppet strings. Well, and, and her politics are basically the same as his. I mean, it's not like it's not like she's got reasonable politics. She's very right wing. She's <laughs> yeah, not at all unplanned yes. reasonable. She's a chip off the old block. I mean, she hasn't <laughs> shot a man in the face yet, but we'll get there. She she would. Yeah, given the opportunity, she'd do it. <laughs> I'm now yeah. imagining well, I mean, the next Republican. Ago, she's... Sorry, go ahead, Chris. I was just going to say, 10 years ago, she was what you would have pointed to as one of the most extreme oh, Republicans. Yeah. <laughs> and now she's all the way on the left of her party. Isn't that something? Well, I mean, not even on the left. I mean, you look at, you know, uh, you know, there were stories this week about, you know, I think they were doing some comparisons. Uh, I think it was the Heritage Foundation was uh, putting out, you know, some of their, you know, comparative scores, like, you know, how she votes versus how at least Stefanik votes on, you know, various issues. And, you know, on a lot of, you know, various issues like guns and taxes and things like that. You know, Cheney is much, much further to the right on a lot of things like that. Right. But, you know, on things like loyalty to Trump, which I guess is now the only issue of importance in the Republican Party, <laughs> Stefanik is now orthodox and Cheney is not. So that's, I guess, why she's going to get the heave-ho and Stefanik is now the new hotness. So there's an interesting pushback from the right on Stefanik, though, um, to the point where you see conservative media uh, really 
trumpeting how terrible she is, actively challenging Trump on this and saying he got bad huh. advice from, from people or whatnot. Uh, they're really pointing to the fact that Stefanik came to the Trump like wing of the party very late. Uh, right. And I guess started out her career in Congress as, as kind of a moderate until deciding to jump on Trump. And everybody, not everybody, obviously, but a lot of people on the right are, are looking at this as basically a carpetbagger who's not really with them. And and they're not wrong. She's they're a, right. Yeah, totally. She's right. an opportunist. She's really horrible. So yeah, I'm rooting for injuries. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it's you know they they are they are accurately describing each other. They are all very cynical people. There's not really any kind of values really at issue here. So, yeah, I guess, you know, Kienes Mas Maga, you know, they're all, yeah, yeah, I guess whoever wants to suck up the most to Trump right now. You know, I mean, if, if if the only value is who's sucking up the most to Trump right now, I mean, there's no, there's no real way to, hmm. It's not the sort of thing where you can say, you know, there's no there's no way to you know say that someone has some kind of longstanding value system that, you know, you know this is you know the the way that they are. I mean, because the value is you will debase yourself and you'll twist yourself into a shape into some kind of human pretzel to you know do be the person that Trump wants you to be and throw any kind of values you had before to be the person Trump wants you to be now. You know, that's what, you know, makes you a good MAGA. So, I mean, yeah, I guess, you know, the fact that she's willing to do that and, you know, you know, that that's what will make, you know, you know, she's willing to throw all that aside, whatever kind of values and whatever kind of, uh, interests and uh constituencies she might have brought you know to congress before throw all that aside now to be a trump person now i mean that kind of makes her a you know a1 maga person now i would say so huh yeah i i well and trump himself doesn't have sorry bro go ahead oh and Finish your thought about Trump because I'm going to take it a little bit off the rails. Well, <laughs> right. I was, just, I was just going to say Trump himself doesn't have a uh, coherent political philosophy as such himself. Like he is perfectly willing to contradict. He has a few things that he's always been for. Like he's always been really down on immigration. He's always been uh, really up on being racist in <laughs> indirect ways whenever he can but you know all he really stands for is himself so it's just like dan was saying that's very the true, way yeah. you prove yourself to be part of the trump party is to celebrate trump yeah so they're kind of they're in his image really yeah <laughs> you said you're rooting for injuries dan but i actually think this playing out exactly the way republicans want it to is the best outcome for us. Um, if we're going to avoid any sort of, of 
midterm like failure here uh the more that we can remind people of why they voted democratic in 2018 2020 the Mm -hmm. better it is for us the more trump wants to place himself and his brand of politics front and center the better it is for us them forcing out somebody who is not reasonable in any realistic sense of the word, but reasonable in the fact that she doesn't want to literally force the United States into a fascist dystopia in order to appoint a uh, a bootlicker to this. And uh, the other thing I noted uh, was that the Washington Times is reporting from Trump's inner circle that they want to start the MAGA rallies back up. The more that happens and the more he seizes, you know, on the Republican Party, even from out of power, uh that's like the only thing that's going to save these seats, these seats that are culturally Republican, but voted for the Democrats just because they couldn't stomach Trump in the suburbs or whatnot. We absolutely need this to happen. Yeah. I mean, I kind of keeping the, you know, the old resistance base engaged and activated in the midterms kind of is what you're saying yeah yeah yeah. the wine moms and shit we we need everybody on board and they're not going to be on board if it looks like the republican party is at least attempting to get its shit together uh right they're going to go back to their comfort zone which is you know smooth talking middle-aged you know white guys who don't scare anybody yep All right. Well, uh, I guess, Chris, I'll let you handle the next segue because you said that the Cheney thing ties in with uh, the the congressional road trip that you were posting about. Yeah. Okay. So let's, briefly uh, for the audience, introduce the congressional road trip, <laughs> which is Marjorie Taylor Greene is going on the road with our friend um, Matt Gates to promote they're kind of America first, even though it no longer is a caucus. They're kind of promoting the idea, I guess. <laughs> they're doing the America first road tour. So I find all kinds of things about this interesting, but one I find really interesting is that, um, well, first of all, let's look at the Q angle briefly. I'd like to look at the Q angle. Allegedly, QAnon's main concern is what? It's it's the child trafficking, the the Yeah. Right? Child yeah. sex trafficking. Yeah. Sexual exploitation and trafficking of children by people in power. So what do we know about Matt Gates? He's been trafficking teenage girls for sex crimes. Right. <laughs> and has not yet been charged, but is clearly in the process of being set up for actual charges. <laughs> Like right, right. It's seriously being investigated for it. So I mean, it's just so blatant that she doesn't actually mean any of the things she says about Q. You know, or if she does mean it, this is America first is more important. Right. So that's one thing that kind of caught my attention. Um, mm-hmm. The other is that you have like these two people going on this uh, road trip, and it just suddenly occurred to me that like the the attitude of other congressional Republicans toward them was, 
well, okay, he's being investigated, but, you know, we've got to keep an open mind while that's going on, and we're going to leave him in all his positions. And, oh, we totally disagree with these things she said, but I think we've had a strong talk with her, and that's fine. So <laughs> we're not going to do anything to, like, remove her from our caucus or anything like that. And what's happening the same week? Liz Cheney for saying that the election actually happened the way it actually happened needs to be removed from Republican politics. Whereas these other two people are fine. Yeah, she's getting, you know, harsher consequences than anything that's happened to Matt Gates. <laughs> I can't believe he's still in fucking Congress, dude. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Utter shamelessness. They they said they're going to be targeting um, like legislators and Congress critters in uh, districts that they don't think are being sufficiently loyal to Trump. Are they actually targeting anybody right now, or is it just generic rallies they're doing? I I don't know that I've heard enough about that to really speak to that. I mean, yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, well, you've got the, what, the 10 that voted to impeach. So that would be, I would think, the logical place to start. Um, I don't know. I mean, beyond that, I'm not sure. I, I don't know if this crowd's got the political acumen to really know where to go to really you know think of who they can go after and who they can't it's not like they've got i don't think they've really got a steve bannon in their corner that's really advising them but i could be wrong i mean without steve bannon who's going to tell him to post more nazi frogs well yeah or you know where where the nazi frogs could make a difference for him but i don't know got to find those fascist bonds Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, we're turning through this pretty quick, so I actually want to poke on one more thing that's not actually on the topic list, but uh, added here as a bridge before our final one. Um, you guys been paying attention to the recount? Recount, in air quotes, in Arizona at all? <laughs> a little, yeah. Checking in sporadically, yeah. I hear it's gotten some pretty uh, racist turn from this week. Some of the details, yeah. Uh, are you talking about them looking for bamboo in the paper to prove that uh, ballots were shipped over from China? That's what I was referring to. <laughs> By the way, I, I do just want to point out that, yes, they are being very racist with that. But this is actually a great example of how literally easy it would be to d discover wide-scale fraud on this. China does, in fact, use bamboo uh, fibers in their paper. It is noticeable. None of them hmm. are in the ballots. They, they've inspected a bunch. They haven't found any. You would absolutely be able to see that if that were the case. <laughs> well, that's good to know. Yeah. All right. Yeah. There, there, there is not widespread fraud on this. They're, they're really hunting and fishing. There is also a humorous note. They accidentally, and they're saying it was a court error. I think they just filed wrong. But they accidentally disclosed what they were wanting to keep secret. Their like policies and procedures in a court filing that was filed to a public docket. 
Uh, and then they, they threw a big fit about it because they were trying to keep that under wraps. Um, the feds are now doing some sort of investigation into this uh, just because of voter privacy laws. This is not any sort of legislative endeavor. This is a third-party firm that was hired to do this. They have no real government standing, and uh, the government is not supposed to uh, is supposed to retain complete control and possession of ballots for, I believe it's 18 months after the election. So there is quite a bit of concern over that. Also, I guess they're saying it's not related to them, but somebody has taken upon themselves, somebody who was inspecting ballots or whatever, to start calling around to people and asking them if they really did vote the, the way they did, which is raising concerns about intimidation and such. Uh, it's just a farce from, from start to finish. Okay, that, that ate up a good minute there. I'm proud of that one. <laughs> how, how do they know how specific people voted, though? So you have to verify the signature on the ballot uh, before you, like, accept the ballot. And so they're just calling oh, people. Oh, like the mail-in ballots. Yeah. Okay. So they okay. don't actually know how people voted. These things aren't cross-tabulated. They just know that there is a ballot from, you know, this person. And so they're calling people up, asking if they voted, who they voted for, that sort of thing. It's, as I said, not apparently the people actually in charge of the audit. They're strenuously denying this. But, you know, the type of people that you you gather for this sort of task are are not the cleanest whistles, I would say. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, also, people officially associated with it are, you know, that is an old political trick. All these people running negative ads against my opponent, I have no idea who they are. <laughs> <laughs> I do not approve of this. All right, Chris, how about you uh, talk to us about our two favorite moderates in the Senate? <laughs> <laughs> Mittens wow. and God King Mansion. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I've just uh, I noticed this week that um, for whatever reason, Mitch McConnell decided it was actually time to say what he was doing. And what he's doing is he's going to oppose everything Joe Biden does, no matter what. That's his number one priority. <laughs> and he waited um, a while. You know? this, <laughs> yeah. With Obama, he said he didn't even wait till he was president. But, you know, it's true. It's true. <laughs> Yeah, he didn't uh, – well, to be fair, though, nobody was sure who won the election until it was finally certified in Congress in January. So right. he could not have said anything because right. they had no idea who had actually won. My goodness, yeah. You know, it was just such a mystery. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess what caught my attention about that is like uh, Joe Manchin was immediately out on kind of talk show – circuits still talking about bipartisanship and how we really need to try and reach across the lines when the lines themselves made a statement that we will never allow you to get anything done. So uh, I'm not sure what else he's waiting for. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, I, it's not like McConnell has ever been subtle. It's, He's been blaring it with a neon sign for a dozen years. 
So, do you want to pass bills or not, Giuseppe? Come on. Oh. <laughs> what do you What are you here for? Oh <coughs> uh, well. What is the next big thing you think they get together to pass? It's well, I think infrastructure is really kind of what they can do with with uh, uh, um, reconciliation. So that's kind of the big bill that they're working on now. I mean, anything else they would need to find Republican votes to overcome a filibuster and they just won't. We keep I coming mean, around to the filibuster. Yeah. 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 I guess I mean it's the sort of thing where you know in theory maybe it's the sort of thing where if you were closer to the election maybe there would be the politics of it would demand that there be action for things like voting rights reform but if you wait on things like gerrymandering protection or again uh, protection on protections on you know bills that are you know protections from you know bills that make it you know, uh, protections from overly restrictive uh, voting regimes and things like that uh, if you wait too long, those laws are not going to be in place in time for 2022. So they're not going to do any good. Um, and in order to get them through, you're going to have to change the rules of the Senate. So it's, if they're going to pass, you know, he's just going to have to acknowledge the reality of the Senate and take some action. But for some reason, you know, this handful of this last handful of moderates, I mean, Manchin and Cinema being the most visible, but there are probably a few others that are just, you know, probably out there, but not as willing to be publicly associated with the position uh, that are just not willing to take the plunge. And it's incredibly frustrating because this is really, really important stuff. And they're just not willing to do it. It's so weird and, that we give the upper house this much power. I mean, this is not a thing in most other countries. Australia is really the only one that comes to mind that actually has yeah. a Senate that does anything. Yeah. The Senate in most Westminster, uh, the upper house, not always the Senate, but in Canada, it's the Senate. The upper house in most Westminster systems is literally composed of whoever the prime minister wants to be in there. Yeah. I mean, they they have appointment power to the Senate. Well, uh, and it's and it's also yeah much more limited. I mean, they can yeah. slow the process down. Yeah, but they can they block something for a couple couple. Stop it. Tries. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in in the UK, the House of Lords gets to say no twice. If the House of Commons passes something three times, then the the House of Lords stops mattering. Right. Yeah. It's not like a system where yeah it can you know. Yeah, requires a super majority of it to pass yeah. 
anything. And why do they consider that right? Because the lower house is most directly responsible to the people. They're directly elected. It's majoritarian. All the reasons that we think the Senate is terrible, you know, the anti-majoritarian stance... Uh, the the huge huge sway that these like middle of the road uh, moderates can can throw in on everything. This is exactly why. If the House wants something bad enough, it should be able to get it. It is the one directly elected most often by the people at the smallest constituency size. Yeah. But on the other hand, it's also the, the chamber that's gerrymandered to shit. So. Maybe that's not better, but it, it it's so fucked. Yeah. Everything about the situation is fucked. Right. Well, I mean, and honestly, if we could pass a decent... <laughs> if, if we could pass the For the People Act, that would also do a lot to fix the House. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> the Senate is an awful piece of shit, so we can't pass the For the People Act. So yeah. that kind of bring this back and this is something that's been i mean this was the roadblock a dozen years ago and it was pretty obvious you know in back in obama's first term this was the roadblock that was killing so much important legislation so much important and necessary reform and we're back here again and it's killing everything it's killing dc statehood it's killing you know for the people act it's going to be it's going to make it really tough to pass a lot of the infrastructure bills that are necessary uh it's going to be a real fight to get a lot of the family leave bills that biden has made it really important a really important part of his agenda it's it's a really really it's kind of the keystone of where the big dysfunctional portion of our federal government is right now. Um, but there's no easy way to fix it. And so you just kind of look at it and kind of fuck, what can you do? <laughs> yeah. I mean, our real, our chance to fix it would have been having a slightly bigger Senate majority and absolute ruthlessness in yeah. abolishing the filibuster and pushing a bunch of things through. Other than that, I think we're waiting for like a maybe a generational change, you know, yeah. maybe 10, 15, 20 years from now, an opportunity might open up. But I shudder to think what the Republican Party, the way it is now, would do with another 10, 15, or 20 years. Yep. Cal Cunningham keeping in his pants. Maine voters not being so goddamn stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Cunningham one really gets me because I think we had no chance with that. I really really did. And more more to it then, I really think Cunningham, you know, his his reverse coattails weren't as much as Space Boys were. But I really think he might have been able to pull uh, Biden over the finish line there. Uh, yeah, that was close. Yeah, right. yeah. And if you have a good old local boy that everybody feels warm and fuzzy about on the ballot, that could really help out. And 
in the end, I don't think he really lost any Democratic support or Democratic leaning support, but I do think he lost some Republicans who were otherwise willing to vote for him with with that whole thing. And I think he could have pulled Biden over the finish line there. And God damn it, man, your penis was not worth the country. I hope really you're wasn't. liking some kissing. <laughs> Looking forward to some kissing. <sighs> Fuck you, coming in. Don't Oh my god. Alright. Well, I think that's pretty much gonna do it for me, unless there's anything anybody actually no, there is one more thing I want to talk about. So extreme risk counties in Oregon are once again not a thing anymore. And it was because All the, right. yeah, it was because the state fell two hospitalizations short of the cutoff. There should be should still be eighteen counties in extreme risk. But they're not going there because uh, we were two people short of 15% hospitalization in the state. Uh, okay. It's the stupidest thing. We snapped. The restaurants and bars closed again because we were over the limit. Nothing has changed in Multnomah County. Multnomah County is still over the limit. But all of a sudden, we're letting people go back into bars and restaurants because other people in the state didn't go to the hospital quite as bad. And now the numbers are going to shoot up again. And I'm just so sick and tired of this ping-ponging. Our governor has been terrible for covid just terrible she has changed her mind every five minutes i even i went an entire episode talking about a press conference where she changed her mind on school closings three times in a single press conference i'm just ah it's been terrible i looked north to inslee i looked south to newsome both of you guys had wonderful governors <laughs> ours was ours had no idea what she was doing i i do i don't believe she was malicious i think she's trying to do the best thing but she is clearly out of her depth and just usually ended up going along with whatever Inslee or newsome did and then yeah. changing her mind on it a little bit later it's it's been so frustrating uh she's she's got to be on her way out right i mean she you know, is. this is her last term, term right yeah. or but yeah, yeah, I was thinking that, you know, this has got to be her last term. Well, so. Uh, so I should say that information is a little out of date. She may have changed her mind. She changes her minds on other things. Um, <laughs> but when she when she took over for Kipsaber, when Kipsaber was forced out, um, was that the governor was forced out over his wife's scandal? Yes, okay. it was Kipsaber. When mm -hmm. she, when she uh, took over for Kipsaber, it was for a fairly short term. She ran for election in her own right and said she would serve two terms, not including the, the shortened term she just sat in the seat for. So yes. uh, assuming everything goes how she was saying it was in like 2014 or whatever it was, this should be her last term. She'll be out in two okay. years. But there is no hard constitutional requirement for that. If she wanted to, she could run again. Literally, two dudes traded the governor's office in Oregon back and forth for like 26 years. <laughs> that was totally a thing. One had four terms, one had three terms or something like that. Yeah, they just went back and forth with each other. That's right. very Vladimir Putin. <laughs> well, they were two separate parties. They, they weren't like trading back and forth on like a deal. It was just they hated each other and they kept getting elected after each other. <laughs> that, that was like 92 to whenever Kitsaber resigned <laughs> yeah yeah alright okay uh, anything you want to mention from Washington Dan uh, no it's been a relatively slow week here but uh, yeah okay. I think we've uh, we've 
made it through. So, yeah. I, I will mention briefly something up from Washington then that's caught my eye as I've been reading during the show. But the uh, the Southern Resident Orcas in uh, Puget Sound, they're unusual among orcas for a couple reasons. One, they don't migrate. Orcas are, are mostly a migratory species. These just stay in the Puget Sound. They're also unusual in that they have basically one food source. They only eat salmon. They, they don't eat anything else. Um, you may have heard us talk about them before because there was a very heartbreaking case of a mother who lost her calf at just a few hours old and carried her around for about a month. Um, as of now, the pod is actually doing better than it has in, in about a decade or so. They've had three births in the last year. The adults are putting on quite a bit of weight. Uh, that's important because mother orcas, unlike other species of mammals aside from humans, Mothers actually feature in the lives of their children for decades, like literally 60, 80 years. Uh, they contribute food, they help them forage, they, they really do a lot of work. They'll even look after their children's children occasionally. They'll do like grandparent babysitting. So the fact that these adults are, are putting on weight and looking healthier is, is really great news. Um, I'm impressed by this, mostly because the state of Washington a couple of years ago decided to put the better part of a billion dollars towards helping these orcas. It was like $685 million into setting up a fish hatchery in order to restore uh, fish populations, uh, moving some of the sea lions that live around Seattle. Sea lions are marine mammals and they are protected, but they're also, they gather around humans and they eat tons of fish. So Seattle has seen a, a huge, massive increase of sea lion population over what Puget Sound would naturally support. Um, and the sea lions are eating tons of fish, which are already pressured because of the damming on the river, not leaving many left over from the orcas. This is absolutely a success story on the part of Washington. They... They identified a problem, they put a bunch of money towards solving it, and it looks like it's going pretty well. So I just wanted to congratulate your state, Dan. Great. Very, very cool. Yeah. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this week. I'm, I'm glad we stretched it out to 40 minutes now. <laughs> so have a good one, I guess. <laughs> yeah? Yeah, you too. See you guys next week. <laughs>